thank you for your plan of redemption. We thank you for the fact that you sent your only begotten Son, that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth to die for us, that he, may pay, that he paid the entire and full penalty for our sins. As we have placed our full trust in him, that, you, that he has forgiven us, uh, that he has given us his righteousness, uh, that he has given us his spirit that resides within us. Uh, Father, we thank you that as the spirit of God is in us, that uh, he is transforming us and making us become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we approach this subject of death, as we've looked at hell and now as we're looking at heaven, I pray that you give us uh, just a strong trust and confidence in the truth of your word, uh, how that affects our lives and how that we might also affect others. Uh, help us to be about the business of, of bearing the good news, of telling the good news of salvation in Christ and that we can have a home in heaven. Uh, as we sang just a little bit ago, you sometimes give and sometimes you take away. But may it be that we determine, no matter what is happening in our life, that we would say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I just ask that uh, even as we look at death, help us to see it as simply a door that gets us to heaven, as far as the entrance way, as far as um, that's the point of uh, exit for us out of this world. Give us wisdom as we study today in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I believe the kids need to go, too. I, didn't think I, I don't think I saw that. All right. You want to turn into John uh, 14. As you're turning there, let me, let me say as we're approaching this Thanksgiving season, again, that's why we're not speaking on hell today. <laughs> we're going to speak on heaven but also, uh, I want to remind you of the Thanksgiving Eve service. It's in your bulletin, 7 o'clock. What did Jesus tell us as disciples? Do this in remembrance of me. I would say this. I would encourage you to make it a high priority, a very high priority for you to be here on uh, Thursday, or, uh, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. It is very important that the, the people of God meet together, especially when we have communion. The other thing that you'll notice is that we have a sharing time. Now, again, sharing not just about general things. We have a lot of things to be thankful for, but specifically about the sacrifice of Christ. So, again, I would encourage some of you to be prepared to share. Um, usually on the Thanksgiving uh, service, I don't share much. I don't have a long message. The idea is that we share together. So, again, I would encourage six or eight or ten of you to... to uh, to have uh, thoughts in your mind that you could also share. So please join us on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, uh, if you're in town. As I said, we're going to be looking at uh, one of the most comforting passages. We're looking at both death and heaven and how they play out for a Christian. Now again, last week we looked at uh, hell for the unbeliever. But again, we want to look at the, uh, the other side of the coin for the believer. Um, but as believers, or as humans, <laughs> you know this, we all have a terminal disease that's called mortality. 
In fact, one guy said this, that the, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One in one. You don't escape it. The only way you will ever escape it is if by chance the Lord comes back in our lifetime. If not, we are all going to die. We are all going to die. Um, I was trying to find some statistics on how many people die. It's between three and four people per second on this earth entering into eternity. Um, That means about every uh, minute, about 180 people die. Or to put it this way, every hour, about 11,000 people die. Or daily, about a quarter of a million people will pass into eternity. Quarter million people. The psalmist in Psalms 39 verse 4 said this, Lord, make me to know my end. Make me to know my Help me to think about my end. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how, how frail I am. Do we often recognize how frail we really are? You know, we try to do a lot of different things to make ourselves healthy and look healthy or whatever. Verse 5, Psalm 39, 5. Indeed, you have made my days as a hand breath, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. And that's where James borrowed that in uh, James chapter what, 1. So again, just a, just a, uh, just a vapor. That's all our, our uh, life is. The ancient merchants often wrote the words, think of death, quote-unquote, in large letters on the first page of their accounting book. In fact, what I did is after I looked at that, in the front of my book, I wrote this, think of my death. (laughs) I I want to think of the fact that someday, if the Lord tarries, which is a very good possibility that he will, that I'm going to have to face death. You're going to have to face... In fact, I'd encourage you to write that in your... In your Bible. Think of death or think of my death. Think of death. You might be saying at this point, boy, that's kind of gothic or whatever. No, no. You want to, because death puts things into perspective. It helps you to give perspective to your goals and your values and everything that you consider important. See, we're going to have to face this if, again, if the Lord doesn't come back. Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon, commissioned a servant. And this is what the guy was supposed to do. Every day he was supposed to come in, and he just says this, Philip, you will die. So, and again, I, I know I've, I've told you some of this over a bit. I thought, you know what, I, I, I want to I hit it again. I want to make sure that we really are thinking, let's have a, a good perspective on life and a good perspective of death. Now, in contrast, France... Francis Louis XIV decreed that the word death would never be uttered in his presence. By the way, you didn't cross him. (laughs) So again, you have both sides. Some would be saying now, you you think of it all the time. I know Jonathan Edwards, one of his resolutions was that he would, actually there was a couple of them, that, that he would think about his death and how his life and his death would play into eternity. That was, he resolved to do that. Now again, the scripture says that Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death. 1 Corinthians 15 says death no longer has victory. It no longer has a sting to those who are in Christ, by the way. Why? Because Jesus Christ took the penalty for our sins. He paid for them on the cross. Those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior don't have to fear death. 
Because again, the penalty of sin, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is he what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin were taken away, placed on the cross. Those who have received Christ, they no longer have wages to their sin. They don't have to pay for their sin. That's why we want to get together uh, on Wednesday to celebrate what the Lord has done, right? I tell you what, this is, what I, I, this is why I love communion, on, especially on the Thanksgiving communion. It just kind of um, re-coordinates my thinking many times and then sets me to thinking straight, okay, this is what Thanksgiving season is about, this is what Christmas season is about. In other words, we need to just keep being re, readjusted and, uh, and, as it were, the Scripture being our North Star and, and the truth of Scripture and saying, okay, this is really why we're here on this earth. Uh, to give glory to the Lord. So again, we want to look at death, and then we're going to look at heaven if we have time today. Uh, The death of a saint, you may want to have your outline there. The idea is this, how is death seen for a believer? Now again, when I say death, I'm referring to physical death, not spiritual death, obviously. Uh, Physical death, when the soul, when the spirit leaves the body. uh, Erwin Lutzer wrote this in his book, One Minute After You Die. I love that title, by the way, One Minute After You Die. How is your life going to add up one minute after you die? He says this, and it's quite a lengthy paragraph, but I think it's it's worth uh, reading so that we have a grasp the whole thing on death. Quote, After Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually as well as physically, sending them out of the garden, far from being an act of cruelty, was actually proof of God's kindness. We read, quote, in Genesis 3, lest he stretched out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. If Adam and Eve had eaten of the other, of the other special tree of the garden, the tree of life, they would have been immortalized in their sinful condition. They never would have qualified for heaven that God wanted them to enjoy. Imagine living forever as sinners with no possibility of redemption and permanent transformation. Although they would never have had to face the finality of death, they would have been condemned to a pitiful existence. He ends with this. Thus God prevented Adam and Eve from eternal sinfulness by giving them the gift of death, the ability to exit this life and arrive safely in the wondrous life to come. Death, though it would appear to be man's greatest enemy, would in the end prove to be his greatest friend. End quote. I love that, the whole quote. That's exactly how we need to look at death. It, it exits us out of here. It's like the door to heaven. Not the door as far as salvation, but the door that brings us from this life to the life to come. So how is death seen as a, in, in a believer's life? And by the way, I am going to end with the fact that it, we don't need to say, well, like there's no sorrow. I'm not trying to go in that direction. I'm just saying, well, how does the, how does the Bible uh, picture death? Well, first of all, it pictures it as a departure. Uh, when uh, Moses and Elijah and Christ were on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says in Luke 9, it says this, that the Lord spoke of his decease. And the word decease there is exodus. Exodus. We get exodus, just like the second book of the uh, Old Testament. By the way, what was the second book of the Old Testament? What is the exodus? As we, It was a record of when the children of Israel, 
right? <clears throat> went from Egypt. For, for them, they did not have to fear their journey from Egypt to Canaan. Why? Because they had a leader, Moses. They were exiting. And so Jesus said, spoke of his death, his exodus. What do you mean? His death from this earth when he would be, you know, finally die, and then he's going to be sitting at the right hand of the Father. So it's, it's referred to as a departure. Doesn't it have to be fearful for us to, in this final exodus? Why? Because we have someone, we're going to see this in a moment, who has already gone before us. He's the first fruit. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But death itself is just seen as a departure. It's not seen as terrifying. It's just seen as a departure. We're leaving. The thing is, Christ has already blazed our trail. I mean, I know this. Someday I'm going to have to look death in the, in the face. Or I'm going to have to lead others, and I've had to do this, you know, lead others. And sometimes we, you know, we hold so tightly onto this earth that we just claw and scream to stay here. I mean, hopefully that's not the Christian. But the reality is Christ has already blazed the trail. Uh, Simon Peter in John 13 said to the Lord, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Why? Because he's the, he's the resurrection and we will follow him. Resurrection is the proof that everything I'm going to say is actually true. Because he not only died, but he rose again the third day. And he's blazed the trail. And he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven. A little girl was asked whether she feared walking through the cemetery. She replied, no, I'm not afraid. My home is on the other side. Now, sometimes we have to walk through the cemetery. We'll have to walk through the doors of death. But our home is on the other side. It's a route to a better land. So it's a departure. The second one is a restful sleep. It's referred to as, a, as it were, a restful sleep. When Christ entered the home of the ruler of a synagogue, he comforted the crowd by saying that the ruler's daughter was not dead but sleeping. You can find this in Luke chapter 8. He said this. This is what the Lord said. Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And by the way, she is dead. She was dead. But again, because he's the resurrection and the life. By the way, it says the next words, and they ridiculed him. What are you talking about? She's not dead. Well, you got to remember who's speaking here. And raised her from the dead. In John 11, verse 11, it says that Jesus, instead of Jesus... Uh, quote, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him. Now, was Lazarus dead? Yeah, he was dead. But again, the resurrection and the life rose, uh, raised him from the dead. Paul uses the same figure of speech in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, die. But we shall be changed. We shall be changed. Um, again, if Jesus returns... We won't have to die, but again, for those who die beforehand, yes, they will die, but it's going to be as sleep. Because it's just, the, by the way, the word sleep, those things are always, again, talking about just the physical body. It's a departure. It's when the, uh, the soul leaves the physical body on this earth. It's a restful sleep. It's just the physical body just in the earth, and, and, the, and the soul is uh, safe uh, with the Lord in heaven. So it's just a restful sleep. By the way, this is not soul sleep. That's a, that's a false teaching. Soul sleep would say that you would become unconscious. 
but there is consciousness. Again, we see that uh, with uh, with the Lord when He says on the on the cross to the the thief, and He says, uh, to, uh, "This day you'll be with me in paradise." And the idea is that you're going to be with me; you will know me. Uh, we see this with Moses and Elijah on Transfigur- Mount of Transfiguration. They weren't unconscious; they spoke. You know, it's just um, no, they didn't speak, but they were there. Let's say they were. So again, Erwin uh, Lutzer in his book wrote this of sleep. And, and I think this is such a beautiful picture for uh, believers. Sleep is used as a picture of death for believers in the New Testament because the body sleeps until the day of resurrection, not the soul. Sleep is used as a picture of death because it is the means of rejuvenation. How many of you like halfway through the day, man, I really can't wait to go to sleep? We usually look at sleep as good. The only ones that don't look at sleep as good is the little kids. I don't want to go to sleep. Although I actually had a couple kids that they would come to me, a couple of my own children, and, you know, Mommy, Daddy, can, can I go to sleep? Yes! <laughs> he goes on, he says, We look forward to sleep when we feel exhausted and our work is done. Furthermore, we do not fear falling asleep, for we have the assurance that we shall awake in the morning. We have proved a thousand times that day, daylight will come. So when he uses the word sleep, it's supposed to be a comforting thought. Some of us will sleep. The third uh, way that death is referred to is like a collapsing tent. Paul spoke of death like a dismantling a tent. Again, we've we've talked on this. You know, some of you like tenting. Some of you like like going camping. I I find it difficult anymore. I don't like camping. Or as Will Schmidt would say, you know, his camping, I think, was Marriott. <laughs> yeah, I actually agree with him now. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 5 says, For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. But he talks about this earthly tent. And when he uses the word tent, he's saying that the body is frail. The body is temporal. Uh, the body is, is uh, going to have to go through a lot of problems while on this, on this earth. It's not, it's not made with blocks. It's not made with cement. It's not made with material that's going to last. But it's just, it just deteriorates. It constantly needs repair. Just like a tent needs to have repairs done to it. But again, death takes us from the tent, like I once said, to the palace. So we're just a collapsing tent, like 2 Corinthians 5 says. It changes our address from earth to heaven. And so we're in this body. And yes, there's a stewardship issue, and we need to take care of our bodies. There's no question. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it's only for a time. It's just for a very, very short time. Now again, those who are persecuted, those who are infirm, those who are hurting, you know, any of the negatives, what, what, what do we find? There's a yearning for heaven. But again, unfortunately, those who are prosperous and healthy, and then there's a, too many times a yearning to keep our hooks here on this earth. But when it's all said and done, it's a collapsing tent. Someone has said that we should not drive in our stakes too deeply, for we, we are leaving in the morning. You know what's interesting is this. If you think about just this, probably some of us will be leaving within this year. Probably, I would think. 
I would think this year, next year at this time, we may have a funeral for one of us, right? It might have been something. I always, uh, you know, when they say that he, he died unexpectedly or he died, whatever some of the other words they use, I always think, really? No, you're going to die. I, I guess he didn't plan it on that particular day. He figured he was going to last a little bit longer, but the reality is, no, think of death. Think of death. So it's a collapsing tent. Our bodies are simply a collapsing tent. Um, you know, we want to work on it, but we have to be careful how much time we, we put in on this earth into a little kingdom, as it were. Um, or, or let's say it this way. What if, you're, what if you're going down to Florida and you're doing a connecting flight out of, let's say, Atlanta? Wouldn't it be strange if you, if you watched someone that had a connecting flight, they had three or four hours, and this guy gets off the first plane, they're ready to, for the second plane in four hours, and you see him in the bathroom, and he's all of a sudden has a paintbrush in his hand, and he's like redoing the, the, um, the, the restroom there. And he'd say, what are you doing? He said, well, you know what? I know I'm only going to be here for just a, a couple, four hours, but I really didn't like the, the, the paint job, and I wanted to get it a little bit nicer. And you'd say, you're an idiot. <laughs> Your destination is not this bathroom. You're going down to Florida. Well, I think sometimes, you know what? We get, we get our paintbrush out too much for this earth. And we're trying to get everything all, you know, like perfect on this earth. And it's like, this is not your home. We're just a pilgrim. We're just an alien. We're just passing through. Yeah, there's a stewardship, but be careful how much we plan on this home, right? This is not our home. So it's a collapsing tent. And then finally, it's a sailing ship. Paul speaks of death as a, the sailing of a ship in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart. Man, I desire to depart. By the way, that word depart is anulo. It means to unloosen. It's, 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 it was used of a ship to unloosen the ropes from the anchor, I mean, from the, the shore, so it could sail. And so that's the word he's using. He's saying, I, I, have a, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. I have a desire to, to loosen the ropes from the moorings on this earth. And I, I want to get going. I want to get... I have a desire to be with Christ, which is so much better. I mean, think about Paul. I mean, you know, the stonings, the threats, the, the, um, the, the suffering that he had, the beatings, the... That he had to go through, and man, I so much better to be with the Lord. But the captain of the ship, verse twenty-four, apparently said, "No, wait. There's a reason you're going to stay on this earth. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you." <laughs> so he said, "I mean, I got to stay here. I got to stay here." By the way, isn't that, that a great way to to think of life? Man, I'd really love to be with Christ. I am so yearning to be with the Lord, but it's needful for me to be here. Wouldn't it be great if we just thought that way? You know, it's not about, yeah, I need to be here to build my kingdom. No, no, I'm here because of you. And we should all think that way, the one and others. So, I, yeah, I, I need to be here. Can't lift anchor yet. He's got a purpose for my life. And until he's done with my, his, his purpose in my life, I'll be content because my focus on what's really important, and that's people. We've got to be focused on people. So again, we can't lift anchor yet. Now, a few years later, in 2 Timothy 4, he says, the time of my departure, same type of word, is at hand. 
No, he knew the he was about ready to pull anchor. Now, it came, tradition says, at the end of a, you know, he got his head whacked off by Nero. But uh, anyways, a sailing ship. Let me give you one other passage. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, it says, This hope we have as an anchor of of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us. So he's saying, we have this hope. It's, it's an anchor. It's, it's, it's what makes our, hope, our faith sure and steadfast. But that hope is literally the forerunner. And um, I was looking up what this idea of the forerunner was. And Philip Morrow wrote this, of the forerunner. Now this is found in Hebrews 6.20. And he says, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus. So we're talking about Jesus who is the forerunner. He's our anchor through faith in him. Philip Morrow said this, the picture here is that of a forerunner used in the ancient times to help a vessel enter the harbor safely. He would jump from the ship. Now just kind of picture this. The ship is coming into harbor. They can't get too close without someone guiding them. So this guy, the forerunner, jumps off the ship, uh, wades to the the, the land, fastens a a very strong rope, and then winches the, the ship in, as it were. And that's the picture of Hebrews 6, verse 20. The forerunner, Jesus Christ, he has gone before us. He has paid the penalty for our sin. He's given us his righteousness. The captain has said, stay on this earth, but do it as Paul, I would believe. It's more needful for you. But he's the one that has gone before us, and he's the one that leads us safely to harbor. So again, our anchor, put all that together, is not in ourselves. (laughs) It's in our Lord. It's in our Lord. So again, we have um, so those different types of pictures, a restful sleep, a collapsing tent, a sailing ship, and it's a departure. That's how, that's how death, whereas a, for an unbeliever, it's terrifying. For us, it's just transition. That's all it is. It's just transition. By the way, with saying all that, it's not to say that we should look death in its face and like somehow say we should never wince. It's still very, very difficult. In fact, that's why the last point on this part says good grief. Good grief. There's, as it were, dying grace. Uh, Corey Tenboom wrote this. She was a little girl, and she experienced the death of one of her neighbors. And, and this is what she said. When she thought of the fact that her parents would die someday, her father comforted her with these words. Because she was like all upset, you know, my neighbor died and I know daddy's going to die someday and mommy's going to die someday and how am I going to be able to survive? And this is what the father, Corey Ten Boom's father said. When I go to Amsterdam, Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? Just before we get on the train. Exactly. Just so your heavenly father will give you exactly what you need when you die. He'll give it to you just when you need it. I I like that. See, that's called dying grace. Some of us look and say, oh, man, when I have to face death, how am I going to do that? And you know what the Lord would say? You don't need it right now. You're living. But as you approach death, I will give you the grace to go through that door. And I believe that's exactly right, right? Paul says, you know, 
I see his power in my weakness. So again, we don't want to look at this thing called death and say, well, it shouldn't be hard. It is hard. It takes his grace. By the way, we should never say, well, you shouldn't have sorrow. Sometimes I think people who are like spiritual or try to be spiritual are almost like, well, you shouldn't cry. Shouldn't grieve. Shouldn't have sorrow. You know where they're at. No. There is such a thing as good grief. Actually, you need to grieve because there's a transition that's happening just very simply like this. The widow must learn to live alone. That's hard. The parent who has to bury a child has to go back home. By the way, and this is where I've been, I've failed at times. I probably think that many of us, we help the person through that very difficult crisis, but then almost forget about them. And we have to say, you know what? It takes time to transition, and, and we need to be there. I need to be there as a, a an elder, as a friend. You need to be there as an a, a friend and a Christian. You know, we need to be there. It's easy to close the book and you're right, you're good, and we got the funeral done. And no, no, there's so much more to be done. <clears throat> Grief that deals honestly with pain is part of the healing process. In fact, I just looked up some different things. I'm just going to throw out pieces here. Um, because again, we don't want to just minimize this transition that happens for both the people that, I mean, the people that are here that are personally experiencing it or how we as a body of believers try to help those people transition. Again, sorrow and grief are to be expected. It says in Acts 8 verse 2, and this is speaking of Stephen's death, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made, quote, great lamentations over him. Great lamentations. And the lamentations they were referred to to was the beating of the breast as a sign of grief. I mean, they wailed. In fact, uh, it was normal. The the difference between uh, the funerals in America and like Jewish funerals, uh, in America, we have a tendency to be very quiet, you know which really makes no sense if you think about it. I think we do everything almost backwards. We put all the pressure on the person to greet me who is just suffering all this loss and they're trying to deal with it themselves and now they're trying to talk to me. Okay, now that's the first. But the other thing is, we're, nobody can talk. You know, like, and, and a Jewish, they, were, they would actually pay people to be uh, grievers and they would just wail. And, and what I heard was uh, like um, th- they would hire instruments that would play different songs so there was just a constant dissidence. You know, like, in fact, even a poor person had to at least have two instruments playing different pieces so that there was, a, because it was, just, it was just noisy and people were wailing, you know. I'm not advocating that, by the way. But the point is, is at least they understood there's a grieving process. I almost think sometimes we try to suffocate that. And then they go home and grieve when no one's around. So we have to be careful. But anyway, sorrow and grief are to be expected. Joe Bailey, who lost three of his sons, wrote of his experience. And he said this. I thought it was interesting. Quote, death wounds us, but wounds are meant to heal. Given time, they will. But we must want to be healed. We cannot be like the child who keeps picking the scab from the cut. We have to say, Lord, you brought me through this, but you brought me through this. 
And it's going to take time, but by your grace, I can learn and be what you want me to be. So again, believers should look forward to Christ's return. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says this. And we should grieve. It should not ever be looked upon like, well, oh, she's really grieving. I wonder if she's walking with Jesus. What does it say in First Thessalonians 4? We grieve, we sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. So again, there's going to be grieving. And it says to weep with those who weep. And, and sometimes it's not the words. I wish I, I wish I was better at this. I'm sure the Lord's going to have to put me through things to become better at this. But it's not the words necessarily. Oh yeah, but it's being there. It's it's the tears that you shed that are that are legitimate along with the person. It's the hug. It's the actions. You know, it's have you ever been there? You know, someone get, and like you really want to do and like what do you do, Lord? And sometimes because we're not really sure exactly what to do, we do what? Nothing, which is the worst thing that we, you know, we need to do something. Donald Gray, uh, Gray Barnhouse, he was the preacher down 10th Presbyterian for years and years and years. But on his way home from the funeral of his first wife, was trying to figure out how do I comfort my children? I mean, first wife, they're the kids. I mean, they're just a mess, as it were. And so Barnhouse asked them this question, quote, children, would you rather be run over by a truck or by its shadow? And the children replied, of course, we'd prefer the shadow. To which Barnhouse replied, 2,000 years ago, the truck of death ran over the Lord Jesus Christ. Now only the shadow of death can run over us. Oh, I love that. That's right. Let's get perspective here. So really, death is the chariot our Heavenly Father sends to bring us to Himself. That's really what it ends up being. So you put all that together and you say, okay, yes, it is hard. It is hard to, if you're experiencing it or a loved one that you know is experiencing it, it is hard to go through this process of to that door where we exit this life to the next. And yet, we have to keep perspective of how the Bible refers to it, knowing that if we're believers in Jesus Christ, the greatest need that we've had, we have, which is forgiveness and righteousness, has been taken care of, right? So that's death, and I've spent a lot of time on that. And, I, and I've, I've shared pieces of this message with you before, but that's the context that we're talking about, death. Now, now let's just look at heaven for a few moments, okay? Let's kind of shift gears and say, okay, but what's heaven like? And next week we'll finish this up. And again, this found in uh, John chapter 14. What is heaven like? Well, I'll say it this way. It's a place for you if you're a believer in Him. It's a place for you. The first thing is, there is the reality of heaven. It's a real place. I think sometimes we forget. That's why, as I said, think of my death. And then you could say this, and think of my home. Maybe that's a better way to put it. John, remember where your home is. Remember where your home is. Jesus, in verse 2, says this, In my Father's house are many mansions. Okay, in my Father's house. That's heaven. J.C. Ryle, the old preacher of 100 years ago, said this, I pity the man or the woman who never thinks about heaven. Not death now. Now you switch gears here. No, I, I pity the man or the woman who never thinks about heaven. We need to think about heaven. 
All right, I'm going to exit this earth. That's death. But now let me, let's go beyond that. Now let me start thinking about heaven. What's there? Let me just give you some components, some things that, what's there? By the way, when I say heaven, I'm, I know I'm switching around here. I'm just kind of, in scripture it says there's actually three heavens. We have the atmospheric heaven. That's where the, the clouds and the birds and, and then you have the uh, firmament or the interplanetary heaven, I guess you would. You know, the stars. So you have the, where the birds are and then you have where the stars. But then you have the third heaven. Paul speaks to that in Corinthians. The third heaven. What do you mean? That's where God is. Okay, so you have here on this earth what you see and then see into space, but then where God is. And we're talking about where God is when I say heaven. The reality of heaven in my Father's house. That's heaven. In my Father's house. But look at the second part, verse 3. The preciousness of heaven. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This, this verse with other verses has... The, why is it so precious? Why is... I mean, sure, it's a place. Oh, can't you wait to see the, you know, the streets of gold? Can't you wait to see the, the 12 types of stones that make up the gates and the, and the walls and, you know, and, and, the, and the myriad of angels? No, no, let me give you other things that are even more precious than that. First of all, as I've been saying, it's our home. We are pilgrims. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. It's our home. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it wasn't so, I would have told you. I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, that's home. It's a place for me. I know when my, uh, my mother and dad, they sold their house. Now, that was the house that I had grown up in. On 5095 Ellicott Road, Fredonia, New York, 14063. And no longer is that my home. I'm a 52-year-old guy. Do you, you know what? It was about 50 when, I was, when they sold. You know what? That actually kind of jilted me. That's my home. That's where all my memories are. That's where I used to play football in the side yard with the Kosky boys. And I used to, you know, up there was uh, with the, uh, you know, my fort that, that the guy, we built a fort on someone else's property. That wasn't real good. And we had to drag it through the woods like 250 feet with an old John Deere tractor to get it onto our property. And after that point, it was all, and we never went back to it type of thing. But that was my home, or my, our property, and they moved two or three miles up the road, and a new house, beautiful house. And I love the house, the new one, but it's not like the old home, you know. And then someone bought it, and they, they went bankrupt after, a, you know, within a year, and now a second person, and I would love to just go in that old home. I really would. Kind of go up to the upstairs where I used to have our, uh, my bedroom. Our, our be- my bedroom was where, you know, it didn't have a full floor. It was just one of those, what is that called, or the roof, you know. And uh, it was, I always felt like 50 degrees. I was freezing all the time. But it was home. I know it sounds weird. I get nostalgic pretty quick. Okay. Look what he says. Many mansions. In my father's house are many mansions. Again, that's 
It doesn't mean that... By the way, when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, it doesn't mean that he's been taken 2,000... I've heard people say, oh, and you know, he, he spoke the world into existence and you know, like that, and yet now he's taken 2,000 years to prepare a house for... No, it, it really is talking about... Look at that last part. It's where he is. And the idea is this. It speaks of Christ waiting for our arrival. It's not like he's taken 2,000 years. It's done. Let me assure you that your home is done. But again, it's not like we're going to, and, and, and it's not like we're going to have different sides. It's just that it's our, it's the dwelling place. That's what the mansions really refer to. It's just dwelling places. The idea is this. Disciples, you've got anxiety. Let me just assure you that you have a place, not on this earth, but in heaven, that is, that you can call home. Everybody wants to have a place that they can call home. In fact, this last yesterday, we went home for Thanksgiving. And the idea is this. Um, even though it's a new home, again, and I love the new home, and I'm glad that they went there and everything else, okay? Um, but I knew one thing. My mom and dad were waiting for us. Right? Although as soon as, I walk, oh, as soon as we walked in, mom was in the, in the garage and I heard that she, like, she, like, hi, and then she ran to get changed. Listen, I don't care if you get changed, I just want a hug. Right? Um, it's, it's the place that we call home. That's, that's heaven. 2 Corinthians 5 says uh, that we prefer to, be, prefer to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So the longing of our heart is, is this question, where do I belong? And the question is for you, where do you belong? I trust that you understand that if you've received Christ, you know where you belong? Not here. You belong there. That's why our heart yearns. This is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And I just, I just can't wait to get there. But it's more needful for you that I be here. It's not about me. It's about you. Erwin Lutzer wrote this, The fact that we don't view death with optimism just might be because we think of death as taking from our home, taking us from our home, rather than bringing us to our home. No, actually, just death takes us to our home. And so Paul was able to say, able to say, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So it's our home. The second is that our Father is there. Our Father. Remember what Jesus told the disciples to pray? Pray this in this way. Our Father, what? Who art in heaven. In, uh, in Romans chapter 8, uh, we are told that we should call Father Abba. Abba. What does Abba mean? It's a term of endearment. It's a term that a young child uses for the father. And it shows intimacy and relationship and dependence. So we call our father... Uh, who is in heaven, Abba. So our Father is in heaven. And our Savior is in heaven. Look at verse 3, that where I am, there you may be also. So he's in heaven. He's waiting. By the way, he's waiting, and we, we, we know from other passages, and he's coming back for us. So uh, if, we don't, if we don't meet him there because we die, if we're still on this earth, when he, he's going to come actually back for us, the Lord Jesus, and that's called the rapture. So our Savior is coming back. That's why I say, you can have this whole world, but, but give me Jesus. I want the Lord. As I'm getting older and older, I'm finding I want the Lord more and more. 
And then finally, you know what else is there? And then we'll close with this. Our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. They're in heaven. They're waiting for us. And we're going to know them. D.L. Moody used to tell a story of a guy, an an older gentleman. And I know he was older because this was the story. He said, you know, when I was young... Man, the things that I always looked forward to in heaven were like the gold streets and, you know, the, the, the sea and, and the, the gates and the marble and the diamonds and the sapphires and, you know, all the angels. And he said, but then one of my children died. And all of a sudden, heaven, those things were important, but not quite as important. And then after a while, a friend of mine died who was a believer. And then a brother died. And he went on and on. Basically, people started dying. And more and more, his eyes were not on the the gold streets and all that. It was like, you know, the reunion that he was going to have. That's what he was looking forward to. And I was thinking, you know, just over the last few years, Margie. Someday you'll see Margie. Lee and Louise. Carol Brack. Do you remember Carol? I could tell you some stories about Kara, but I won't. <laughs> when I first came, Tom Hallett. And then I was thinking about uh, Mrs. Weesmore. Do you remember Mrs. Weesmore? <laughs> you all say Gladys. Yeah, but then there's other people for me. My Uncle O'Brien, great preacher down south, just died here a couple years ago. Aunt Gladdie, Uncle Louie. And my, probably my favorite of all of those people is Grandma Bray. She had a strong finger. I mean, she was the type of person you did not cross, Grandma Bray. She liked her oatmeal in the morning and a little bit of butter or whatever else she put on it. But she taught me a lot. A lot about being satisfied and content. But you know, they're all there. They're all there. So yeah, I would like to see all the marvels of the working of God as far as in heaven. But you know what I'm really looking for? to see family. And, and, and you talk about family reunion that we have like in you know, July 4th and stuff like There's nothing like this family reunion, right? The family reunion that's coming. So that's what's in heaven. It also says that our names and our inheritance, our treasure, all those things are in heaven as well. But you know what? It's all about people. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, our reward, our home, And ultimately, our family reunion is up there. So our heart, you know, I think this is part of the sanctification process that the Lord does in our heart. We get so connected to this world, it's almost like we just grab a hold of it. And over time, as things happen and we suffer and all that, it's just like our grip goes like this. And we start saying, yeah, yeah, I'm secure in Him. Therefore, death is nothing more than a door to the next world. And, and, And then your heart starts to yearn Yes, I'm looking for... No, I'm really looking... Oh, uh, to depart is so much better. But then you say, no, but to be here is needful at the moment. And so that gives you perspective of why you're here. And I trust that's what's going on in your own heart. Now, the last verse I want, to, I want you to see since we're closing out is this. That in verse 6, Jesus said something, though. And they're saying, you know, I, but I can't follow and all that. But he said this. He said... Jesus said to them, or Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, what? But through me. See, we can talk about heaven, but the question 
is this. Have you ever received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Right? Because he says this. He didn't say this. I am one of the ways. I'm partly truth. Right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I remember talking to a a minister up in uh, Alfred. This was years ago. And I asked him that question. John 14, I said, you know, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life? Now, this was a, this was a preacher of, a, I thought, a good church. And I was just expecting to have fellowship with him. And yeah. And you know what he said? No, he is just one of the ways. No, no. The Bible says this. Jesus speaking, God himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So the question is, have you ever received him as your Lord and Savior? What does John 1 say? But as many as what? Received him. To them he gave the right, what? To be children of God, sons of God, to those who believe in his name. Have you ever put your faith and trust in him? I trust that you have. Let's stand as we worship him.